Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberg, and this is the program for you as a family caregiver. Happy New Year, by the way. And you know, I don't use that word happy by happenstance. See what I did there? Happy happenstance. I mean, look how unsettled our country is. Look at all the craziness that you see. We talked about this for last week's program of people that are airing their stuff out in front of the world, and it's really a bit jarring. A friend once told me years ago, when it comes to having a public profile, process your pain privately. Share the process publicly. And we have this rush to the microphones for people who just clamor all over themselves to share the most gruesome details of their lives just to get some kind of sick, twisted affirmation. And the more I watch this, the more I see how many people just desperately want to be relevant. They desperately want to have affirmation. And I get that. That's the human condition. We want to be noticed for what we do and and all that. And I think as a caregiver, I, I mean, I've struggled with this a lot in my life. Does anybody see what I do? Does anybody pay attention to what I'm, does people see how challenging this is, that kind of stuff? And it's teeters into self-pity for me as a caregiver. And then it becomes this, it's all about being validated and affirmed. I would love to tell you that I arrived at this place being a bit more spiritual and wise. No, no, y'all know me better than that. I'm just tired. (laughs) You know, it's exhausting to chase after that to try to grab that brass ring on a carousel. You know, now that's an ancient metaphor, I know. But but you get the point. And we push ourselves to extreme to get noticed, to get affirmed. And I have found in my experience that that is not a worthwhile pursuit. That's an exhausting pursuit. And you see people aging out of their lane, if you will, of, of things that got them all this, and they don't know how to function. Well, can we learn from that as a caregiver to realize that we don't need that? That's a vain pursuit. And at some point, let's pull off of this highway. Let's just let's just get off this highway and learn to settle our spirits down and be content with where we are. And this is what all of Scripture teaches. And even if nobody else is noticing what you do, what I do, it's okay. God notices And the point of it is not to be noticed. I mean, are we doing it for praise and affirmation? Or are we doing this because we love somebody and we want to do the right thing on this? Is this a reflection of our ego or a reflection of our heart as caregivers? And, you know, Jesus said very clearly, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And he was speaking to the, the larger problem that we do things so that it feeds something in us. And there's nothing like caregiving to help you work some of that stuff out in anonymity and in the dark places at night and and all these kinds of scenarios that we have as caregivers to chisel away at that. So we let it go. We, We don't hold on to that as much. And for me, it's taken a lifetime. I would love to tell you that I developed these things, these thoughts and these principles and these ideas just out of my own sheer brilliance. But we know that's not what happens. (laughs) It's out of my own sheer failure. Somebody posted on Twitter the other day. They said, how did you learn to be a caregiver? Did you have this help you with? I mean, some agency help you or train you or whatever. And 
I thought it was kind of an odd question. And I wrote on there, trial and error, mostly error. <laughs> you know, And that's what evidently resonated the most with the survey that they gave, because that's the way it is for us as caregivers, at least all the ones I've talked to. Maybe you started off just pristine at this, and you worked it all out and, and had it all mapped out for you before you even started. Me? No. No, I just... Uh, dove into the pool and didn't even check to see if there was water. You know, I was grateful that there was water, but I, I have floundered at this, flopped around and messed up and, and done all these kinds of things. And I've thought about this over the years for us as caregivers. What is this affirmation that we seek and how will it help us be better? And the answer I have come, and this is, again, 37 years of this, that affirmation is not going to help us be better. Now, it may help us feel better. I mean, let's be honest. It always feels nice to be noticed and affirmed and and appreciated for what you do. But that doesn't sustain us. You got to have more. You got to have more. You got to have more. And we realize that those are nice things, but they're not worthy of pursuing It takes a lot of energy to pursue that, and I just don't want to do it. I want to learn to be content with where I am. Now, the Apostle Paul said this very clearly. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, that's in his letter to the Philippians. Now, this is at the end of Paul's life when he's writing these things. If you'll remember when he started off, he wanted to give his pedigree. Go back and look at the text. You know, he wanted to establish who he was, where he'd been trained and all the things. And by the end of his life, he's like, yeah, I'm the chief of sinners. (laughs) None of that's worthy to be compared. I'm I'm just going to be good where I am. And I think that's our journey as believers is that we can allow the Holy Spirit, to to whittle those things off of us, to kind of sand it down so that our sense of well-being is not tethered to someone else's approval, okay? There's really only one approval that we seek, and that's the one that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he has promised that he's going to equip us to do this. He's giving us everything we need in order to get that well done. But as long as we're seeking relevance and affirmation from others in our role as caregivers, then we're going to constantly be butting up against that bitterness when we don't get it. Because who on earth is going to give that to us 24-7? And that's why I always bring in politicians and celebrities and so forth, because It's such a glaring example of that. Now, they're no more guilty of it than anybody else, but they just have a lot bigger platforms that we can see it in high definition. And they come out and want to recapture what brought them to that center stage. And I know that that must be incredibly enticing when you've achieved on that level and you never really want to say goodbye. I'm always amazed at some who can't. And I used to see a few of those people in Nashville when we lived there. One of them, I'll tell you, was Eddie Arnold. You remember Eddie Arnold? And this was a man who was so at peace with himself. 
And I would see him at Cracker Barrel, and he was just the most gentle of souls, just gracious. Didn't have this need to tell you who he was or anything else. He was always very interested. Another one, I, I used to sit at the Waffle House with Earl Scruggs, one of the best banjo players ever from Beverly Hillbillies and everything else that he did. Again, a, a, a kind soul who was not trying to impress you with all of his accomplishment, but just being who he was. Probably the greatest example I saw of this, I was working at an event many, many years ago, and I was working at the front door, and we had to greet all these people coming in. It was a pretty big event, and this huge limo comes up, and camera lights are everywhere, and it's Dolly Parton, and she's getting out of the limo. She walks up to where I was standing with the lady who was checking everybody in, and she said, you know, are you Kim? And she says, well, I'm Dolly. <laughs> like, she introduced herself, I'm Dolly. Like, we didn't know who Dolly Parton was. And I thought that was so humble and so gracious. And I thought, wow, was at peace with herself and didn't need you to affirm her. And she could just be who she was. That always struck me. And I thought, you know, that's a good model that you can learn to just be at peace and you don't have to wear your accomplishments on your sleeves. You could just do your job knowing that the one who matters is watching and equipping And my desire continues to increase that I want to hear him say, well done, because I want to honor the great work that he's done in me. This show is called Hope for the Caregiver, not the Peter Rosenberger Show. My opinion is irrelevant, but the lessons I'm learning from scripture in this journey are highly relevant. And we're going to talk more about that when we come back. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. Gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. It gives an impetus to share your faith when you think you've got answers to objections that you expect people to bring up. The American Family Studios video series, Intro to God's Revelation, featuring Dr. Richard Howe, shows how God has revealed Himself in nature and His Word, and how we can rightly understand what God has said. These truths are just a part and parcel of the Christian life. It isn't just for the professional clergy. Learn the fundamentals of how to approach and understand the Bible in an age of skepticism. This six-week video curriculum is perfect for your Sunday school class or study group, and it can prepare you to give a defense of God's Word and how He speaks to us in nature. Knowing whether and how God communicates is a safeguard against false claims about God communicating. Intro to God's Revelation, DVDs and workbook are available for purchase at afastore.net or call 877-927-4917.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. So glad that you're with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. By the way, if you go out to Facebook, you could join our group, Hope for the Caregiver. And I talk about this group a lot. We have a lot of things that go on in there that I don't share with everything else. It's a group that I administer. So comments and so forth won't go off the rails. Or if they do, I will get on them very quickly. But I share a lot of things going on. But I'm going to tell you all something that's coming up. I just want to let you know. Uh, I do have a, a new book coming out in May. Now, I, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who does a lot of bookings and so forth. He said, you know, you need to come out with a new book every year and or some kind of new product or book every year in order to stay involved. And, and, and I was thinking about what I just said in the last segment, you know, how to stay relevant. I can't write a new book every year. You show me a caregiver that writes a caregiving book every year. And I'll show you somebody ain't doing a whole lot of caregiving because I can't, I can't keep that up. Uh, I, I, this is the first book I've had out since, uh, gosh, in over five years now. So it, it, it's, it, it's something, I think you guys are going to like it a lot. It, it's things I've been kind of almost journaling down to myself, but it's called A Minute for Caregivers. When every day feels like Monday. A Minute for Caregivers. When every day feels like Monday. And I literally have, these are, these are one-minute chapters that you can read. I timed them. You can read them in one minute. Because think about your life as a caregiver. When's the last time you had the opportunity to sit down and read for hours at a time and follow this long treatise into anything, for that matter? We, we have to live almost in sound bites as caregivers. And that's okay. I mean, that's, that's all right. I don't feel this burden to somehow write this long thing that's going to make me read it or anybody else read it. I thought, let's just keep it short. So it's one minute. One minute of things that, again, I've learned the hard way and lessons I've seen from Scripture, and I see these things and apply them in my life as a caregiver, and I think it'll be meaningful to you. This is what we do for one another. So the goal is not to go out there and reinvent the wheel and, and me come up with something new and exciting in the world of caregiving. <laughs> it's just taking us back to Scripture taking us back to Scripture, taking us back to the foundational principles that guide us through this journey so that we can live more peacefully, so that we're not driven by angst. Oliver North is not only going to publish it, um, but he asked if he could write the forward to it. And I was just deeply moved that he made that request. So I think you're going to be very, very pleased with this book and it's going to reflect the things that you and I talk about on this program and the things that you and I as caregivers struggle with every day. Again, the goal is not to solve the problem that our loved ones face. There's a bigger problem, and it's our propensity as human beings. Now, you're not any more prone to it than I am or vice versa. We're all prone to this. Like the old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. You know, I love that hymn, by the way. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It's a great hymn. Hold on. I may have to step over to the caregiver keyboard and play that. This is a wonderful hymn. I love the first verse, of course. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. But let me, um, let me look at the third verse. Listen to this. 
Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Now listen to this third verse. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Isn't that a great hymn? I mean, is it any wonder that I love these old hymns? Because they they say it so beautifully, so well. But but to the point is that nothing we deal with as caregivers is unique to us on a core soul human condition level. The circumstances that we're in are, they are very different. They are somewhat unique to us. But the core principles, the precepts, those things are not. They are found in Scripture. And when I wrote this book, I wanted just to write out things of one minute that I could just give myself and fellow caregivers of things that I have seen in Scripture. Remember again, as we said in the last segment, the goal is not to share the pain, it's to share the process. This is what Scripture is filled with. Think about all the Scriptures that reflect this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Well, doesn't that sound comforting to you and assuring to you as a caregiver? Think about thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Doesn't that give you a moment's pause to realize, oh, wait a minute. If I don't know what to do and if I don't know what's going on and if I feel like I'm coming apart, would it not behoove me? Every time I say behoove, I always think of the farrier that comes out here and does the shoes for the horses. Would it not behoove me? (laughs) Well, the cattle out here, I just like that word, behoove. Would it not behoove me to go back to Scripture and say, okay, what does God have to say about this? And can I say this concisely? And that's what I did one one minute. And I, I challenged myself to write this in 200 words or less. And for the most part, I got it right at it uh, for just about every one. And, and the title of it, it's a little bit embarrassing how I came up with the title, A Minute for Caregivers When Every Day Feels Like Monday, because I called to a doctor's office one Friday afternoon. And, you know, you listen to the show. When I have somebody on the show, I ask them, how are you doing? Callers, whatever. And I said, how are you doing? I just want to have a starting point. So I asked the lady, how are you doing? She said, oh, it's great. I'm doing great because it's Friday. And before I could catch myself, I blurted out, well, Friday doesn't mean anything to me. Every day is Monday. <laughs> and I felt bad for saying it. Okay, don't don't throw rocks at me. Don't cast asparagus at me. I, I just, I, it just blurted out. And I wish I could take it back. But I thought, well, but that's a common feeling to us as caregivers. Every day kind of does feel like Monday for us, doesn't it? How about you? I mean, let me know if it doesn't. I mean, I would love to hear from you. But I just felt like that would be something that would be, that would connect deeply with my fellow caregivers, is that we don't really have the same weekend experience maybe that others do. But again, when I write, I'm very careful to go with that principle I learned that we talked about in the last block. Process the pain 
privately. Share the process publicly. What did we learn from it? And can I pass that on to someone else who then can pass it on to others? I have foraged for these kinds of nuggets over my lifetime as a caregiver, but I've had other people who have come alongside me and deposited great things into my life, insights, teachable moments, life lessons, scripture, helping me understand what God's precepts mean in a situation like I'm in. And I would be a poor steward of that if I didn't pass it on to others through this program and everything I write. And I lead a small group for caregivers here every week. And we just hammer these issues out and reinforce the things that work. This is what works. This is what sustains me. This is what I have found sustains fellow caregivers. Now, we may not even be thinking like this. Most of us are not when we're in the flailing around part of the journey as a caregiver. So I wanted to give something that was going to settle people down right away, immediately. And none of my books process the pain publicly. I just, I really don't like that. And, and my wonderful pastor friend, Larry, said to me, Years ago, it's not about how lurid the tale, it's how great the Savior. And as long as we continue to focus on Christ, it's this is where the life-changing happens. I don't know if you guys watched The Chosen on the last couple of episodes, but when he sent them out two by two, and he said, you're going to go out there, when, I'm not going to send you with any provisions, I'm not going to, you, you just go. And and I love the way they had the dialogue. They're all looking at, at each other. And, and the guy that's played Jesus just does such a great job. And they said, well, what do we preach? He said, well, just share what you've heard me say. Anything you've heard me say is going to work. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what, I mean, I just thought that was brilliant. You know, anything you've heard him say is going to be effective. What do you see in Scripture? What does God have to say about this? What does God have to say about the fear and the angst and the despair and the resentment? And just share what we've experienced. I love that verse in Revelation where it says, they overcame by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Well, what is the word of your testimony? It's your experience. Not the word of their opinion. (laughs) I've told you the last segment, my opinion doesn't mean anything. My opinion is, is worthless. doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what God thinks. Because that's where the truth is. You know how in our culture right now, we got everybody saying, well, speak your truth, or, you know, that's your truth, or I will speak my truth. <laughs> I just love Jesus says, I am the truth. Just once you start seeing this, it's, it's like it's leaping off of the page. And it gets down into your soul. It anchors you. How can I not rejoice in that? How can I not extend the same comfort that has been extended to me? So I wanted to to write something that was meaningful to my fellow caregivers. If you're not a caregiver, you'll get something out of it, but it's written in fluent caregiver. And we'll talk more about it as it gets closer to the time. And um, I hope to be able to have uh, Colonel North here on the program. I believe that we'll be able to make that happen. And 
share his thoughts and his insights as well. And I'd very much like to hear from you at hopeforthecaregiver.com. What are you reading in scripture that is grabbing a hold of your soul in the midst of your distress? What's a psalm that you particularly like? What is a prayer in scripture that is giving words to all the, the struggles that you're feeling in your heart? Share them with us so that we can share them with others, okay? This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. They say actions speak louder than words. Here at the American Family Association, we take that to heart. AFA Action is here to inform and help you get involved in cultural and moral issues. You can also sign up for our AFA Action Alert, which will inform you about these issues every week by email. To sign up and for more information, visit us at afaaction.net. Why are you still sitting there? If you want change, it starts with you. The California Appeals Court has just ruled that for the purposes of the Endangered Species Act, bees are now fish. What? What? I guess they couldn't find a separate category for bees to put them on the endangered list. I am shocked that this came out of California. I know. Common sense rules the day in that state. Now bees are identifying as fish. I'm not a biologist. Today's Issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. Here's Dr. John Oswalt from the American Family Studios documentary, The God Who Speaks. One of the remarkable things about the God of the Bible is that he is a God who speaks. The writers of the Bible again and again talk of him as the living God, and when they do, they include this idea that the idols are dumb. They cannot speak. Language is an incredible mystery, really. What is it that makes human beings able to communicate in word? Personally, I think that is the image of God in us because God speaks. Right at the beginning of the Bible, God spoke the world into existence. It did not somehow evolve from his body. It was something that he spoke. Visit thegodwhospeaks.org. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Roseberger. Glad to have you with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com if you want to let us know what's going on with you. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a little contact form there. Just send a message right to the program. and We'd love to hear from you. Like I said, the last block, if you want to share a particular scripture, a hymn that you love, a verse in a hymn, a quote from a pastor or an author or something that stuck in your brain. You said, man, I really like that. It really kind of applies to me as a caregiver. Share it. Tell us about it so we can pass it on to others. Because if it's meaningful to you, more than likely it's going to be meaningful to another caregiver. And that's kind of the whole point of what we're doing here. And you can always post it in our Facebook group as well at Hope for the Caregiver on Facebook. Just go to that group page. Now we have the page for it, but this is a group, okay? And you have to join that group. And if you're already a member, post it. If you're not a member, join. We'd love to have you and be a part of what we're doing. I want to give up. If you could allow me to 
just put a pin in all the things we've been talking about. I want to get a, give a little bit of a cautionary tale on something. Okay, this is um, what separates this program out from any other program out there for caregivers is that we delve into the world of alcoholism and addiction in the context that the people who are in relationship with that alcoholic or that addict are caregivers. They are indeed caregiving for someone. Now, you may think, well, that's, that's different than, well, of course it's different. It's all different. But as long as there's a chronic impairment, there's always going to be a caregiver. And you're going to be dealing with it financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically. You know, a lot of similarities in how we approach any type of chronic impairment. So regardless of the origin of what the chronic impairment is, the relationship is affected by this impairment. And those of us who are engaged with individuals who are dealing with any type of chronic impairment are going to have a shared experience of frustration, despair, fear, guilt, obligation, anger, all of those things. With alcoholism and addiction, there's a couple of other components that sneak its way into this dilemma, if you will. Uh, My son Gray says that when life hands you um, dilemmas, you make dilemmonade. So I thought that was kind of funny. But when you're dealing with alcoholism and addiction, there's this underlying principle that many people have. Well, you could just stop it. You could just will yourself to stop it. Well, look around. How's that working? Do you think people are doing that? That's why there's so many treatment centers and AA and everything else, and it doesn't work that way. And people who are in relationship with them feel that intensely and want to try to somehow wrestle this thing to the ground. And I got a friend of mine who's dealing with that right now with a family member. And as I listen to the conversations, there's so many of these machinations of trying to game the system. Well, if I do this, I do this, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this, I could fix this, I could do this, and all these if-then clauses. And you're basically playing whack-a-mole. They are going to continue drinking and they're going to continue using drugs until they reach a point where one of three things will happen. Okay? They'll either sober up They'll get locked up or they'll get covered up. That means they're buried. For an alcoholic or an addict, those are the only choices they have. They're either going to sober up, check themselves into a facility, work a program, get help, or they're going to get locked up. They're going to have a DUI. They're going to do something incredibly dangerous or hurt themselves, hurt the others, or they're going to die. Now, I don't mean to be harsh. It's just a harsh world. And that's been boiled down to its essence. These are the three choices they have. And if you're in a relationship right now with somebody who is an addict or an alcoholic, these are things that I implore you to take to heart. You can't change that. You didn't cause it. 
you can't cure it. Okay, this is beyond your abilities. They have a Savior. You ain't that Savior. And you can sit on them and make sure they never drink or use again for the rest of their life. But you're never getting up. You're going to be sitting on them for the rest of their life. It's going to be their sobriety at your expense. Now, can you maintain that 24-7? I don't think you can. And you can't hide enough bottles. You can't flush enough stuff down the toilet. You can't do this enough to shock them into sobriety. All you can do is detach from their sickness and allow this thing to run its course until they either hit a wall and decide that they're going to work a sobriety program. Anybody tells you different than that, I'd give them a little bit of a wide berth. I am not doubting what God does in this. I'm not. And I've heard people tell me that, you know, God delivered them instantly from them. God bless them. But it has been the overwhelming experience that I've seen that people have to work at their sobriety. People have to work at not putting themselves in that position again to take a drink, to take pills, to shoot up drugs, whatever. And it's not something that you're going to be able to enforce externally. It has to be a change in their heart. In many ways, it mirrors the path of sanctification, that you are not going to be able to do this on your own, and you're going to have to reach out for help if this is your struggle. But right now, I want to talk to the people who are in relationships with that struggling alcoholic or addict. You have no power over their addiction. The only thing you can deal with is you. And you will create so much pain in your life if you try to control something that is above your pay grade. Now, they may go down a a happy road of, of sobriety and recovery, and you may see tremendous changes. But the changes I'm focusing on right now in this conversation are the changes in you. I'm thinking somehow this is all up to you, that you can force this down the path you want. You could yell and scream and withhold and, and use money and bribe and cajole and plead and all of those things. And if you're doing this right now, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. How's that working for you? Okay, and we're just having a gut-level conversation here about the principles of you trying to control the behavior of another person. I can't do it. You can't do it. No one else can do this but that person, and they cannot do it without the help from God. How is that any different, really, ultimately, than our sin and our flesh nature? We can try to be real good Christians, but it's never going to happen. We need a Savior. You, in a relationship with somebody who has an addiction, 
that need for a Savior is going to erupt in your life to, to the point where you will see things in you that are so ugly and so unpleasant. Eventually, you will bend the knee and cry, Uncle, and say, I can't do this anymore. I am powerless over this. And you are. Just like a caregiver of somebody with Alzheimer's is powerless over Alzheimer's. You know, I, I, Gracie's legs are gone. I am powerless over amputation. I can't make them come back. A family member with autism, you are powerless over autism. You can't fix that. But that's not your job is to fix it. That is not your pay grade. And I, as I tell myself and I tell others, look down at your hands. If you don't see nail prints, this ain't yours to fix. That's not your role here. You can love and you can care for it and you set boundaries and you set healthy boundaries. And I would encourage you to seek out some real professional help. Counseling, 12-step recovery groups for family members of alcoholics or addicts. There are a lot of resources out there. But I'm watching my friend struggle mightily with this and work to game it. And I heard in a recent conversation about 30 if-then sentences where there's some type of, okay, I can, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And man, it, it, it exhausted me to listen because I know it's futile. It's not going to happen. The best thing you can do is bend the knee to God and say, Lord, I don't know how to deal with this. And I'm seeking your help and I'm seeing ugly things come out in me because of this that don't honor you. And I want to deal with that with you. And I want to be healthy regardless of what anybody else in my life is doing. I want to be in a place of contentment and peace. We talked about it in the first block where Paul said, I can be content in anything. Even with a family member that is out of control with alcohol or drugs. It doesn't mean that you tolerate the behavior. It doesn't mean that you just leave a gun laying around. It doesn't mean that you enable, okay? Use some common sense. And there are people that can help you shore up all those weak boundary areas. But it does mean that you are going to take your hands off of this and trust God with it. Because I, I love this phrase that my dear friend Jim Bachman said years ago, a pastor in Nashville. If he's Lord at all, then he's Lord of all, including this. We live in a broken world where terrible things are happening all around us. We are called to minister to them, but we are not able to fix them. That is way beyond us. And we can minister with healthy boundaries. We can minister with peace and contentment in our own hearts so that we can respond and not react. We'll talk more about this when we come back. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? 
I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on our fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give They go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. Welcome to Apologetics with Carl Kirby. The atheistic worldview completely denies God's existence, claiming people can know for sure there's not a God. And sadly, the number of people claiming to be atheist has grown in recent years. But atheism makes no sense. Information and universal laws clearly indicate order and purpose in our universe that must be the product of intelligence, not random chance. In fact, the more scientists learn of the universe, the more they see evidence for design. And if there's design, there's a designer. Former atheist Alistair McGrath said, Atheism, I began to realize, rested on a less than satisfactory evidential basis. The arguments that had once seemed bold, decisive, and conclusive increasingly turned out to be circular, tentative, and uncertain. Psalm 14.1 reminds us, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Holding an atheistic worldview can be dangerous. We'll discuss why next time. For more information, go to hopetools.net. Stay bold. But the nails are not what held him. It was love that compelled him to give his life so that I might live. Heaven's not the reason I fall down on my knees. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. Producer Pat, would you mind, ma'am, please turning that back up a little bit? I love this right here. Thank you so much for indulging me on that. That is uh, Gracie, my wife, and Scat Springs singing a song that I wrote with my friend Hank Martin. Heaven's not the reason. And I just I love that performance by the two of them. Hank uh, and I've been friends for a lifetime. Scat as well, but Scat passed away about a year and a half ago, and his amazing voice has now joined the throng in heaven. Uh, Scat's voice, oh. Just love to listen to him sing. So thank you for indulging me on that. We're talking about, by the way, this is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We're talking about alcoholics and addicts in the context of caregiving. And I've just been watching 
actually more than just one friend go through this with a family member. And I just felt like I felt kind of an urgency to kind of lay this out for us to talk about, because I think the principles we deal with as caregivers apply 100% when caring for an addict or an alcoholic or somebody who's mentally ill or, you know, whatever, whatever the chronic impairment, these principles apply because they're, I didn't come up with this. Okay. Y'all know me by now. I'm not that bright, (laughs) but this is scripture. This is the, the principles of God. And they are always true. They are always applicable. They are always appropriate when dealing with the human condition. And so I don't want any of us to be misled or in any way deceived or disoriented by our circumstances. And one of the biggest issues I think we face is this internal conflict. Now, you tell me if I'm wrong, okay? This internal conflict, not eternal, internal, internal conflict between what we want and what we see. We see something and we want something and what our eyes are telling us and what our, what our hearts are wanting, we're trying to mash together and it causes more angst and heartache and dysfunction in our lives that we can, that I have the words for. And if you look through scripture, you'll see this is consistent. And and Jesus dealt with it with his own disciples because we're so easily tempted and ensnared to try to force an issue of something we think needs to happen. Go back to look at Peter. He said, I, you know, when Jesus said he's going to go to the cross, Peter pulls out, no, 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 this ain't going to happen. Get behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus said. And you know, Moses saw the plight of his own people. So he goes out and kills an Egyptian. He's going to free Israel one, one person at a time with that model. And we, we see this repeatedly in Scripture. What our eyes are seeing and what we're wanting, and we're trying to mash it together. And we can see the behavior that is out of control of somebody. And we're wanting to somehow control that, to make it be so, or live in some type of denial or whatever, to spin it so that we're not uncomfortable with the reality of what we're seeing. As a friend of mine once said, are you going to believe what I'm telling you or your lying eyes? (laughs) We can see it right in front of us. And yet it's uncomfortable to admit the truth. It's uncomfortable to admit the truth about our own sin. If we struggle to admit our own sin, how much more do we struggle with the sin and the behaviors of others, of believing that, of accepting that? I can't even accept my own stuff, much less anybody else's. And the only way we can see that is the work of God in our life to give us clarity, conviction of the Holy Spirit, to say, okay, this is not good. This is wrong. This is the way it is. This is the truth of what's going on here. Am I the only one? (laughs) Of course not. 
So I'm going to ask you again what I asked you in the first block. How's that working for you? If this is where you are, how's that working? An addict or an alcoholic will not improve on their own. They must have help. And some recovery programs call that a, a higher power. I'm not here to debate that term. I'm just saying from a scriptural standpoint, you have to have the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Just like you do with sin. We may say, okay, we're going to act better. We're going to do better. We're, gonna, we're not going to do that anymore. Well, how effective is that? When we squint our eyes real hard when we pray. But in reality, we're just trying to lean on our own understanding and our own strength. And it's when we surrender all that and say, you know, I, I can't do this. This is beyond me. My efforts are worthless. You can't, you're, you're not going to moralize yourself into heaven. You're not going to moralize yourself and behave in such a way that God is going to accept you. If you could, we wouldn't need a Savior. And you can't white-knuckle yourself through, you know, these behavior issues that we all have, this sin that we all have. You can't just, I'm going to be a good person now, any more than an alcoholic can do it. If you think you can save yourself, then you're just as deluded as an alcoholic or an addict who thinks that they can just decide to quit one day. As one addict said, quitting is, I'm very successful at quitting. I do it all the time. <laughs> you get the point. And the goal is not to in any way shame one another of this. The goal is to rejoice in the fact that God has made a way. That's the point. That's why we need a Savior. And if you go back and look at the story of Abraham taking Isaac and God had asked him to sacrifice, can you imagine that walk where he's got, you know, his son beside him who he loves, and God says, go up there and sacrifice your son. And Isaac says, you know, hey, I see the, the, the fuel. We got everything we need except we don't have a lamb. And what did Abraham say? He didn't say, you're going to be the lamb. He didn't say that. He said, God will provide. God will provide the lamb, the sacrifice. God will provide. That word provide, that's where that word providence, it's, it's rooted in that word providence. I could see it. God has seen and provided. He has seen and seen to it. it his, he, he, this is what he does. This is who he is. And when he got there, Abraham was willing to go through with it. But God provided because he had made provision. That is the picture of salvation. We need a Savior. We cannot do this without one. Your alcoholic addict loved one has a Savior, and you're not that Savior. Your impaired loved one has a Savior. You are not that Savior. It's really important that we understand this as caregivers. 
That is not our role. That is not our job. That is not our task. That is not our mandate. We are stewards. We are caregivers. We give care. But we cannot give solutions. We're not solution givers. I cannot fix this. And neither can you. Regardless of what the impairment is. Gracie's pain is considerable. She looked at me the other day. She said, I've been in pain for 40 years. I'm tired. I can't take this away from her. I can comfort her in it. I can make her laugh. I can even distract her. I, 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 I do all the things I can. I make a, you know, a nice meal, keep, it, keep the house clean, whatever I can do to ease that burden, but I cannot carry it for her. That is between Gracie and God. And you cannot carry your loved one's affliction any more than I can carry Gracie's. And for those of you in a relationship with an alcoholic or an addict, please understand these principles I'm telling you. There is help available. You cannot white knuckle yourself through this thing. They may get sober, they may not. They may get clean, they may not. But you can be healthy. You can be at peace. You can be content. You can be safe. You can respond and not react. It's work. But it is available to you if you choose. But first it starts with getting your eyes off of someone else's behavior that somehow saying, okay, I'll be content, I'll be at peace if they stop acting like this. No, you can be at peace no matter what they act like. I know that. Because scripture says we can. Paul told us that. In the, we said it in the first block. I can be content no matter what. And that is hope for the caregiver. And this is Peter Rosenberger. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.